0: guys, and welcome to the Chase and Tales Outdoor Podcast, where we try and inspire you to get outside and chase whatever outdoor passions and adventures you've been thinking about, but maybe you haven't done. Or maybe it's just a beautiful day outside, and you need just that little extra motivation to get out into the outdoors and enjoy yourself, whether that's hunting or fishing. And we hope to do that by providing you with awesome outdoor experiences, stories from people all over the world, and including our own adventures as well. So thank you for tuning in. This podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Wild Edge Inc. They are the maker of the simplest, most versatile climbing system in the outdoor world. So if you need a way to be ultra mobile in the outdoor woods when you're chasing whitetails, check out the Wild Edge system, www.wildedgeinc.com, and use the promo code ChasingTails10, that's ChasingTails, T-A-L-E-S, one zero to save fifteen dollars on any set of steps that you may order unfortunately deer season is winding down duck season's winding down and most of your western hunting is winding down but that's okay because that means turkey season and the off season is close and that means we can prepare we can start chasing birds we can start fishing And we can start to learn from the past season, and I've learned a lot this year. It's been a tough year, and if you're like me, suffering from the threat of tag soup, my season isn't quite over yet, but it's winding down. I empathize with you. Get out there, grind, push through the next couple weeks if you've got any season left, and if not, take the time to reflect and see what you could do differently. I know that I've got a lot to learn and and apply to next year hunting public land. We've got big things planned for 2019. I've got an elk hunt out west We're trying to line up some DIY hunts in different states outside of the state of Florida. If you find value in the show and you would like to support Chasing Tales, its growth, its reach, and its ability to bring content to you from all over the place, we have set up a Patreon account. You can go to www.patreon.com dot com forward slash chasing tales outdoors or just click on the link down in the show notes I put it in the bottom of every show notes you can choose to, to sign up and contribute and that money goes directly to the production of this podcast it offsets the operating costs that we have and hopefully it'll help fund some of these adventures that we have planned if you would like to contribute please check out the Patreon account. It would mean the world to us if you would donate directly. Now we should get to this week's episode, but before we do, I'm going to close this out with a brief word from our dear friends at the Sportsman's Alliance. If you're new to the podcast, or if this is your first episode, please go back a couple episodes and listen to the podcast that we recorded with them. The Sportsmen's Alliance is fighting for our rights to hunt, fish, and trap, and enjoy the outdoors on our public lands, on our private lands, and they have an incredible success rate in the court system. So here's this week's message from Sean Kern of the Sportsman's Alliance.
1: The Sportsman's Alliance is uh, we're a nonprofit organization, uh, but we were founded, you know, in the late 1970s. In Ohio, there was a ballot initiative that sought to ban all forms of trapping. So they knew that if they could take their agenda to Ohio and and win on this issue that's very near and dear to them, that they could then take that and plug and play in other states. Um, so a group was organized to run the ballot initiative on behalf of sportsmen. They ran the campaign. They did an outstanding job. They succeeded, and they defeated that ballot initiative. But calls continued to come in from around the country to these to these folks from other states having similar issues. So there was a need. They took the appropriate steps and they formed the organization. And they said, well, let's let's specialize in these things. And so that's how our organization was formed. That's what we've pretty much focused on the last 40 years has been protecting and advancing the American traditions of hunting, fishing, trapping, and the shooting sports. And so that's, that's kind of the who we are and what we do. That's kind of our, our specialty is we work you know, in the legislatures, we work in the courtroom, we work at the ballot box, and we do work in all 50 states.
0: And I hope that after hearing this and listening to the previous episode, you'd feel compelled to join the Sportsman's Alliance like I have and like many of our listeners have to help support our outdoor hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode of the Chase and Tales outdoor podcast and I have been looking forward to doing this episode I look forward to doing all of them but this one has has had me since about December 8th I I had the fortune of uh, being introduced to this fella and and talking to him briefly before going to the deer woods and on my way to the deer stand I was talking to him I heard his story and immediately I knew that this was one that I wanted to share on the podcast because it's a Maybe the the hunt style itself, or or the the game being pursued, is not super unique. But I feel like the story behind it makes it absolutely special. I am on the phone now with Pete Johnson. How you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing great, Walt. How are you tonight?
0: I, any better? I couldn't stand it. It's a Thursday evening. I I am a day away from the weekend. There's a cold front coming through. I'm <laughs> a cold front in Florida. That that's a godsend. i hear you so um we've put a i've put a lot of time and you've provided me with a lot of information on this and and we've i've gone around robin i talked to you before we got going about how i want to approach this because it's such a, a a unique story but before we get to that um i was introduced to you by your family member and my previous guest sean clarkson he's your nephew
2: Yes, that's correct. Sean's a nephew.
0: There you go. And he called me up one day and said, listen, I've got a guy that's got a story that you have to hear. Um, And he he basically said that you hung the moon in the sky for him as Uh as a hunting Uh mentor. Well,
2: I I, I think he gives me a lot of credit that probably isn't due. But Sean and I have spent a lot of times in the woods together, so uh, it's been a lot of fun.
0: There you go. Was So why don't you give the listeners a brief introduction as to who you are, maybe the area that you hunt and call home, and maybe just maybe a brief about you. All
2: right. Well, um, I live in Tidewater, Virginia now. I actually reside in Yorktown, but I grew up in central Virginia, uh, Nelson County. And you know, if you were to take your finger and try to put it in the center of Virginia, you will hit as close to Nelson County as you can so when we say central Virginia it's absolutely true um, it's the foothills of the Blue Ridge um, you know, grew up with the fortune fortunate having a large expanse of wooded area as a backyard wasn't necessarily our property but um, you know 50 years ago people weren't as strict about who did what and it was pretty easy to get permissions to hunt so we had permission to hunt a pretty vast area of what I would call mountainous regions in central Virginia. Um, started hunting that area when I was twelve, and have and continue to hunt it now. Uh, we have a we have a great population of game in that area now, and I think it's due to some changes in the number of hunters, um, the way people hunt. You know, fifty years ago, I think there were still a lot of folks that were hunting to put meat on the table. Uh, we still enjoy that meat, but it's not a necessity like it was 50 years ago. Um, so I think we see a big increase in the population again for our area that we have now. As well, um, you know, the, the story that we're going to talk about tonight is actually the first black bear harvest that I ever had. Um, unique story in a few different senses, one being that I started hunting that property 10, ten or 10 or 12 years old, somewhere in that range. And I can remember being excited talking about just finding a bear track. (laughs) You would see a track in a mud puddle or used to love to go when it snowed. I didn't care if I saw a game. We would just, you know, try to cover as much territory as we could just in the hopes of really trying to see the evidence of, yeah, there are bear here because we'd never, literally I'd never seen a bear in 30 years of hunting that property. Um, did a little bit of research prior to this talk and through the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, they have some pretty interesting information online. So share some of it briefly with you, but sure. from 1929 to 1985, the average kill in the state of Virginia was less than 500 bears statewide. Wow. Um, you know, not the bear that I shot, shot it in 2004 Well, in 2004, there were 1,130 bear harvested across the entire state. Um, The way that broke down, I found interesting that roughly about 200 were killed with archery equipment. About 300 were shot with the use of hounds. You know, the the hunting with hounds, both deer and bear is still very popular in Virginia. Uh, So in the balance of that harvest was done without the use of hounds basically in the general firearm season. And that's how my bear was shot. I actually shot it on new year's day of 2005. So it was the last day of the season of that year. Um, They give you a little idea of Nelson County itself. Nelson County is 474 square miles. So it's a pretty vast area. And you think about in that 470 some odd square miles, there were less than 50 bear killed. In two thousand and four, so when I say I never saw a bear, it's not that we weren't in the woods. It's not that we weren't hunting. Now we weren't hunting with dogs, particularly trying to tree or track a bear, but just a happenstance to happen upon a bear, it just didn't happen. I mean, I had never seen one.
0: Well, and and how does that impact an outdoorsman being in an environment where you have the opportunity to hunt? something that is very infrequently encountered it do you find yourself in a position where you maybe where you didn't feel compelled to to harvest one of those game species did you see it as one that was recovering or is that one of those situations where that was just kind of like an established population level and you were trying to grow it
2: well i i think for me personally and that's that's probably the only way i can answer the question is is i i've always been intrigued with just to hunt itself. Now, of course, I love to hunt whitetail, and, and the idea of a nice big trophy buck is sort of the the goal of, of every hunter, but I also love to turkey hunt, um, so I always strive for that, you know, three-year-old gobbler. You look for the nice mature bird. Um, you know, I, I got a wild hare once and decided I wanted to kill a bobcat, so I did a lot of research on how to how to find bobcats where to find bobcats and lo and behold about two years time i killed two bobcats so that's um that's how i approach the you know the game population if i get interested in it i try to educate myself on it as far as the bear we knew they were there um just happened to be the right place at the right time so you know i, I think it wasn't that i was fearful in shooting the bear or thinking that it was a small population I just felt like that it truly would have to be sort of the alignment of the perfect storm to be the right place the right time without the use of the hounds or without, you know, some type of a, an advantage to know that you were on the track of the animal, whether you were tracking it in the snow or these type things. And I think that was one of the real interest in, I mentioned earlier, hunting in the snow is is, you know, if I were to come upon that bear track in the snow, well, obviously it would have to be fresh if it was a last night's snow. And you could hopefully be able to stay on the track and maybe harvest one that way. So, you know, I had, in theory, hunted bear, but not with hounds or anything like that.
0: What a picturesque way, or and in, in like maybe a, an old school version of field and stream to be able to track something in the snow and harvest it. I I, I don't, that's always kind of been a, a dream of mine I've got the old field and stream best of collection book over here and, and there's several stories that are like that I've not had the the privilege of hunting in snow yet
2: well I've, I've not had the opportunity to harvest something by tracking it but it is very interesting to be in snow and to look at the different tracks and uh, one thing that I learned from the snow and hunting snow is travel corridors where do you see the deer mm. trails you know you, you what you think may be the perfect travel corridor or they've got to be here well the snow will tell you if that's true or not because you're going to see those paths you're going to find those heavily used areas and you know the you you read and i've read where a buck may travel a trail that's 20 or 30 yards off of the main trail well snow will tell you some of that i mean it's sort of it's it's a really cool time to be in the woods and try to absorb what you're seeing around you
0: that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't even considered that—the idea that it's just such fresh intel, but also probably such a a contrasting intel. Where if there's a, a heavily worn trail that's getting used with any consistency, it's just going to stick out like a sore thumb.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it looks like cattle or you know something else has been through there, but it, it's it's a lot of fun. It truly is.
0: Well, I think you know I've, I've thought about a hundred different ways I'd like to to break into the story, but. I think the best way we could do this is is simply I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to start us off with with what you were hunting, what your intent was, and and just genuinely tell this story, and then I think it'll become apparent to the the listeners why this was special, such a special um, harvest and situation across the board. If that's okay with you, sure. Um,
2: well, like I said, I harvested the bear on um, on New Year's Day. Well. The actual story probably should start New Year's Eve. Um, a little background about myself um, had at that time was coaching girls' fast pitch softball with a close friend. My daughter played, his daughter played. So, my personality I'm, a, I'm an all in kind of guy. So, she was playing. So, therefore, it meant that we, you know, I had to be doing something. So, um, we were coaching together and he had moved from the Tidewater area where we are, to Central Virginia, to Charlottesville, which is about 35 miles from where I hunt. So, they invited us to come up for New Year's. Of course, a great invitation for me, because not only do we get to see him, but I get to hunt the day before and the day after. So, it's a no-brainer for me. I'm going to go. <laughs> the, wife, the wife can visit with friends, and I can hunt. It's a perfect, perfect thing. So... Um, we're there at their house enjoying New Year's festivities, and, you know, he kept saying, hey, you know, can I, can I fix you a cocktail? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. So, you know, the night leads on a little bit. We get to about 10 o'clock, and he says, you're going to have a cocktail? And I'm like, no, but a cup of coffee would be great. And he just kind of smiles and looks at me and says, you're going to the cabin. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he knew my love of the outdoors as well. And knowing that the cabin was 35 miles away, wife is i have a great wife been together 30 plus years so couldn't ask for a better spouse or better partner in life so she understands my obsession very well um so ball drops kiss on the cheek happy new year i'm in the truck driving 35 miles to the cabin so get there about one in the morning it's a little cabin that my brother-in-law and i have on a bordering property to the estate that we hunt go in you know, jumping, jump on a cot for a few hours. Get up just before daylight. Travel some twenty minutes, maybe from the cabin by foot to get to where I had left my tree stand overnight, and start to climb the tree. And I had put the stand in an area where I had seen some deer movement in the afternoon. Quite honestly, hoping to put a doe or something in the freezer at the end of the year, just just kind of close the season out on a positive note. So I'm I'm going up the tree in. What I would consider to be twilight, not really dark enough that you can't see, but it's certainly not legal shooting light by any means. And my pack's still on the ground. I get up in my climber and start to get situated, and I hear turkeys calling in the ravine below me. So, Okay, we'll possibly get a shot at a turkey. At that time, you could still, Virginia's done some really crazy things with their seasons. They overlap and there's times that they're in and out. But at that point in time, it was still what I call hunting season. You could shoot what you saw, basically. Best Um, time of the year. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So get myself situated. And now it's light enough to where you can really start to see the forest floor pretty clean. And I noticed down the ravine, there's a black object moving up the ravine toward me and my mind tells me you know okay it's i know it i see it it's an object but i really don't know what it is at this point so i look down just think oh well turkeys may feed up well do you you know how your mind can sometimes you see something but it really doesn't register until it does register and then it's <laughs> you know that probably what i can't say on the podcast realization <laughs> um, and and that's what i felt it's like you know Oh, 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 here it is. It <laughs> truly is a bear. So not only am I shocked at finally seeing a bear, I know the bear season is in. I have a weapon in my hand that I am very comfortable with shooting, um, you know, 336 Marlin 3030, which I have had since I was 12. Um, not what everyone would consider a bear hunt with, but if you shoot a 150 grain hollow point at 30 yards, it's more than capable of killing most animals that are in the state of virginia so um now i wasn't hesitant of the shot at all uh in the state of virginia the bear needs to weigh 100 pounds live weight and it can't be a mother with cubs or a sow with cubs so i'm trying to process okay it is a bear is it by itself so i'm trying to watch it as it moves up the ravine through the laurel making sure that it doesn't have a cub with it. And I had a visual probably for a good 25 to 30 seconds of it moving up this ravine in wide open, clear space. Then the bear broke through the laurel so I could see behind it and in front of it. So very confident at that point in time that it was what I would consider to be a lone bear, did not have a cub. So Now my brain goes to where am I going to make the shot? because it's it's not moving fast but it's on a it's on a pretty consistent walk. So I figure out in my mind where it's going to travel to, get situated, sure enough, bare steps into the lane that I expected it to, I pull the trigger. And it's about 30 yards from me at this point. Well, it rolls and stands back up and starts to bite its chest cavity, you know, on the the wound, basically And turns and just like an absolute scalded dog runs right back into this creek ravine that it came out of. So all of this happens probably in a 45 second to a minute time frame. So now it's that adrenaline, you know, never, never done this, never shot a bear you start to kind of reprocess things through your mind and I'm sitting there going, well, you know, I've trailed a lot of blood, trailed a lot of deer, but I've never trailed something that could bite back. So that's a whole different thought process. So, you know, I'm in my pack, I'm eating all my snacks, I'm drinking a cup of coffee, I'm doing everything that I can do to force <laughs> myself to sit in the street stand, you know, for at least that 30, 30 minutes or so that everybody tells you, if you shoot something with a bow, yeah. you should give 30 minutes. Well, I'm thinking, I'm going to give this thing as long as my patience will allow
0: me. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is know? the most agonizing part of every hunt, if you ask me.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I finally get to the point where I just can't stand it any longer. So I go, you know, climb myself down the tree with the stand. and And I guess I should have said earlier, I'm hunting. My brother-in-law, who I hunt quite a bit with, is hunting probably 500 yards from me. So he's also deer hunting at the same time. So um, I come down the stand and go over to where, you know, the, the shot site was. Obviously, hair on the ground. Um, could not find the first drop of blood or sign of a hit other than hair being pulled out. So that was a little concerning. So you go from, you know, the absolute highest adrenaline of finally seeing an animal that has been a ghost your entire life to getting the shot opportunity and now i'm thinking well did you you know did you screw this up so i start doing some circles and some searches and i think i know the area that it ran because of how the terrain is and the few times i had seen it in the mountain laurel so i start to follow the direction that i think the bear went in and still no sign could see you know kicked up leaves could could tell that I was on the right path, but no visual sign of any hit. So this happens probably right around, I would say, the seven to seven fifteen in the morning, seven a.m. to seven fifteen time frame. So I look for this animal, this bear, until about nine thirty and find nothing. I do the big circles, you know, I do the circles, I come back and I go this direction and I go that direction. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's time to call in some reinforcements because in my mind, there was just no way that I had missed this bear. So, um, you know, I, I get myself put together, put my pack back together and walk to some 500 yards from where my brother-in-law is. Well, we, we kind of have sort of a, hand signals or whatever that we do as we approach one another. So one of them is, you know, he's always sort of pointed to his head and done his fingers, like how many points. So he, his head, how many points? And I'm shaking my head. No. So he just gets this confused look. So i walk up to the base of his tree and he goes, was that you that shot? And I was like, yeah, I said, I shot a bear. My brother-in-law's, his name is Bar. And he's like, oh, my God, because, you know, he, too, never, you know, never had an opportunity to harvest one. So, you know, he can't wait to get down the tree. And he's like, you know, what are you hunting with? And I said, well, I have my 30-30. And he's like, well, you didn't miss with that gun. You know, that thing's a piece of your arm. So, you know, good good confidence builder. You know, we're going to find this bear. Don't worry about it. You know, so... He comes down, get his gear all packed, and we, you know, truck back to where I was. And same thing, he sees the hair. And what happened? How did it go? This type of a conversation. Well, like I did earlier, he takes off straight downhill where you would think any wounded animal would go. Well, in my mind, I go, well, I've already been that direction. So I'm going to go 180 degrees opposite from what, you know, I think I should be doing. And I turned and, and crested sort of a little rise and started down a finger ravine that went opposite from the one that I had been in earlier. And I hadn't gone 40 yards and I came across a really large blood smear in the leaves. So hollered to my brother-in-law, Hey, I'm finally on blood. So he comes over and we go another maybe 70, 80 yards down into this ravine and, and come upon the bear. The bears expired. Um, I think the reason we weren't seeing any sign is in the way that the bullet exited, uh, the exit wound was pretty much clogged with entrails and some other things that were prohibiting the blood from, from running out. So that's another learning experience that I've had with bear is, you know, the, the way they're shot and the way their hair and so forth holds the blood. The sign is entirely different than what you would see when you shoot a, a white tail. Um, but, we, we found the bear. So now I'm relieved that I see this, you know, okay, now I've recovered it. Well, when I get to it, I'm not sure that bear weighs a hundred pounds.
0: Um, <laughs> can I, can I ask you at this point, you've gone from highest of high, settled yourself, take, taking the shot, no blood to perhaps up until that point, the lowest of low, where are you right now having found it and, and, and starting to question yourself?
2: Well, I don't know that I'm questioning myself as much as there was relief of finding it. Yes. Sure. And you know, then we, 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 turned the bear over. Well, I hadn't, honestly, I had never even been around a bear that had been shot. I had never been around a dead animal to look at. So it's the fascination of looking at the, you know, the the inch and a half to two inch long front claws and, you know, kind of just, just doing an overall Visual and soaking it in, yeah, and 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 it's it's not out of much curiosity. Is I I have a large respect for the game that I hunt and pursue. So if I shoot a nice whitetail, I'm not just looking at the antlers to admire them. I'm looking at the characteristics. Mm. I'm looking at these type things. So sort of that same scenario with the bear. It's you just yeah soaking it in is a good way to put it. So you know we 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 bring the bear and. bring it out to a place that we can, ex- can make it uh, accessible with an ATV. And so we walk back out to the cabin where we have, um, you know, some of the different equipment that we've got drive back in, put the bear on the back of the ATV. And my brother-in-law is the first one who actually probably said to me, you think that bear weighs a hundred pounds. And um, I said, "Bar, I'm not sure. And he's like, I think you're fine. And I said, well, we're going to find out you know, and he just kind of, we got of both kind of chuckled. So
0: <laughs> the deed was yeah. done at that point.
2: Oh yeah. And you know, <laughs> at, at that point I, I felt like I'd done nothing illegal. It was a perfectly legal harvest. It was in season. It was by itself. So checking all the boxes of what you should do, I felt like I'd done. Um, had I possibly misjudged the size of an animal? That's a possibility, but if anybody's ever bear hunted before, they understand this more so than people who haven't. It's probably the hardest animal I feel like to field judge because you really have nothing there as far as perspective. You don't have a large set of anglers to look at. You know, the people who hunt them over bait or hunt them by bait stations can compare them to the size of whatever that bait container is, and that's a known entity. But if you're just watching them walk through the woods, honestly, when I first saw the bear and I tell this to people and they laugh, it took me a few seconds to figure out which direction it was moving because it was just a large black ball moving through the forest. You know, it, it mm-hmm. didn't have a whole lot of perspective as far as front and rear. Now, as it got closer, obviously it did, but there was just a round black mass moving up this side of this mountain towards me. Um, so once we get the animal back to, to our cabin, we both look at it and um you know barr has got some guests there that that he had that were hunting and he wanted to check on them And he's like well you know you know it's got to be checked in so and so and you know i'll see you later kind of a thing and he left so i take the bear and put it on my my vehicle my pickup truck and i know it needs to be taken out and checked in in the state of virginia you have to take them to a checking station they do a wait and they actually pull a tooth and it's sent off to fish and game, and that tooth is cut, and they age it with the rings in the tooth, much like you would age a tree. Right. Um, So before I drove out with this animal, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, well, if it's not 100 pounds, what's the ramifications of being stopped or being checked with an undersized animal? I didn't want to have it look as if I were trying to, quote, unquote, get away with something. So I took my cell phone and there's a one eight hundred number in the state of Virginia that you can call to report a game violation. So I dial that number. Phone <laughs> rang. Um
0: this Lady part Anthony. this just kills me that you did this because <laughs> I, I would have been just an absolute mess. I don't know that I could have done this.
2: Well, and here here's And, and, you know, it sounds like I did it immediately, but I didn't. It took a little bit of what do I do, some thought process of what could happen. And I felt like, honestly, I had done nothing that I couldn't stand up in a court of law and look at the judge and say, Your Honor, yes, I misjudged the size of the animal, but that's the only thing I did wrong. Um, You know, you have to understand my brother-in-law is a hunter-ed instructor, has been a hunter-ed instructor for 30-some years. So, Didn't want to do anything that could possibly put him in an awkward or an embarrassment position, you know, belong to a great hunt club. Um, Didn't want to do something that would give the hunt club a bitter taste or possibly lose the right of me to be a member of that hunt club. Um, So yeah, all of those thoughts were kind of going through my mind as well. So I felt like the best thing to do is to say, Hey, this has happened. What's my next step? So when I call the number, uh, the lady answers the phone and asks. She says, "Well, what violation are you reporting?" And I said, "Well, ma'am, I'm really not sure. Possibly myself." Long pause <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> and she said, um, "Excuse me." And I so then I said, "Well, you know, ma'am, I've harvested a bear this morning. Not sure that it weighs a hundred pounds, and you know, I don't want to take the chance of." Putting this animal in my vehicle and being stopped because I could honestly lose the vehicle, lose my guns, lose anything that they could tie to the hunt, you know, have a fine. At that point, I'm trying to defend myself if I'm caught. Right now, I'm asking for help, which to me I think is an entirely different way to approach Yeah. Anything in life, really. I mean, we all make mistakes. It's what you do once that mistake is made that kind of sets you apart. I feel like so by making the phone call, what I felt like I was doing was openly and honestly saying there's a possibility here that I've screwed up. I just don't know what to do next. Um, So the lady, she, she actually said, well, first of all, let me say I admire you for your honesty, but I don't know what to do either. She said, I'm going to have to call one of the local wardens And get some direction so gave her my cell phone number um probably 15 to 20 minutes my cell phone rings and it's the local game warden and he asked it you know is this mr johnson and i said well yes sir he said well i understand you've had some luck this morning and i laughed and i said well i'm not sure it's good luck (laughs) and he just chuckled to himself and he at that point totally set the precedence to how the rest of this day was going to unfold Because he said to me, he said, look, he said, you just need to calm down. He said, it's obvious that you've done nothing with any illegal intent. He said, so we'll get through this. Well, once he said that, then my nervousness and my anxieties just went right out the window. Because I think that's what I had hoped to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And he asked me, had I had it weighed? And I said, no, I have no way to have it weighed. So he told me what game checking station to take it to. And he said, I'm gonna tell them that you're on the way. And he said, if you're stopped between point A and point B, here's my cell phone number. You just tell them to call me. And I said, Okay, cool. So I do all of that, drive over. And you know, it's a it's a little local country market. I've been in there a hundred times as a kid. So, you know, I walk in and it's it's your typical country. Little market that you see where you know the guys are sitting around the wood stove chatting it up, drinking coffee or what have you, and one of them looks at me and says, "Oh, so you've shot a small bear?" And I just laughed and I said, "Well, <laughs> sir, in the state of Virginia, they're not color coded; they're all black." I said, "It, it could have been a thousand pounds or a hundred pounds. I had no idea." And uh, he kind of laughed and he says, "Well, come on, let's see what it weighs." So we go out, take the bear off my truck, put it on a scale. And it weighed in at 105 pounds. So now it could have walked. I'm going to be honest with you. It, it could have weighed 105 pounds. He could have had his foot on the scale. I'm not sure. (laughs) You weren't looking, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I had a check-in tag that said it weighed 105 pounds and that's all that, that I needed. I I don't think that they falsified it. I don't mean that, but I'm, I'm saying that kind of jokingly, but, um, so the warden had told me, he said, well, call me once you leave the check-in station and and let me know know, what it weighs. So, um, I dialed the phone as they're filling out the paperwork and he said, well, how'd we do? And I said, got a check-in tag. It's legal weight being checked in at 105 pounds. And he says, great. Have a good day, sir. Click. That was the end of the conversation. So, you know, now I've, now I've got a little bit of the excitement, the, um, the anticipation of hey, I finally killed a bear, even though honestly it is a small bear. I sent you a picture of it. You, you can look at it. By perspective, everything is in size and shape. It's just like a it's like a calf. It's a small statute animal. Um, I still had a shoulder mount done of that bear. It's the first one I've ever killed. You know, I never knew if I could kill another one. So it wasn't that I was I wasn't unhappy, I wasn't disappointed with it. Would I have been more happy if it had weighed 500 pounds? Well, obviously, yes. I mean, I'd be foolish to say I wouldn't have been, but I wasn't disappointed in the fact that it was a small bear. Um, And I think thinking now through all of it, I'm probably as proud of that bear on the wall as I am the one that does weigh almost 300 pounds that I killed several years later. Um, Not that the two hunts aren't exciting and different, that small bear to me it hangs over my desk and you know i have the first bear the first turkey which was a jake and my first buck which was a spike i have those three over my desk you know so i'm i'm just as proud of those three as any of the large animals that i have you know anywhere else in the house but um got the bear home processed it took the cape to the taxidermist so you know everything is kind of calmed well, if you fast forward now into probably mid-February, our hunt club that I mentioned earlier, we are we participate in the game management here in the state of Virginia. So we do the jawbone collection and aging and all of this. And at the end of every season, we always have a review of basically what was killed, our harvest report. And one of the local wardens will come to, To our area and sort of read through what it was. So I go to this meeting and who's at that meeting, but the warden that I had (laughs) talked to on new year's day, um, love the fact that I was able to walk up and shake his hand because, um, you know, I walked up to him and said, um, introduced myself and I said, you and I had a fairly interesting conversation on new year's day and you could just see him kind of peeling back. And he looked at me and laughed. He said, that was a day and i said yeah it was and uh i said well I, you know i said i thank you for how you helped me through that he said well he said i i felt like that we were going to be okay with you describing the animal he said but you never know and so i had to ask i said okay i just got to know i said if that bear had weighed 75 pounds what would have happened and he just stopped and paused for a second and he looked at me and he said well if it had weighed 40 pounds, you and I would have to have had a talk. He said 75, 80 pounds. He said more than likely I would have written you a warning ticket and allowed you to keep the animal. He said, but here's what you did right. And if nobody else takes anything from this conversation other than this, this is probably the biggest learning experience I had throughout all of it. In the state of Virginia, Fish and game commission don't have to have a warrant to come into your house. They can, they can just knock on the door and come in because of suspicion of illegal harvest. Unlike drugs and anything else where they need a warrant, these folks don't need one. That's why most of these raids that you see on television, there's typically a game warden somewhere in that group of law enforcement. If you look close enough, because that, that limits the need for a warrant. Um, And he told me, he said, look, if you'd have shot the bear and tried to, you know, take it home, hide it, do whatever, or if you'd have shot it and just wantingly left it and wasted it in the woods, he said, you're going to tell somebody. And he said, somebody's going to tell somebody. And he said, eventually I would get wind of it. And he said, I would drive to Yorktown. He said, I'd come knock on your door. And he said, I would ask you about it. He said, we'd come in. He said, if I could find anything in that house that tied you to either the illegal harvest or if I could prove, I think it's want and waste is how it's, how it's listed. He said, if I could have proven any of that, he said, I would have taken anything in your home that I could relate to honey. He said, all of your stands, all of your guns, your ATV, your ATV trailer. He said, anything that I could relate to that act, I'll take it. He said, now you can get it back. You're going to have to buy it back at auction. He said, but I'm going to remove it from your house. And he said, any antler you've got, any turkey beard, anything like that that ties to fish and game, if you can't produce a check-in card for it, I'm going to consider it an illegal harvest. And now the, the fines and what I'm going to write you up for just starts to multiply. And I'm just kind of looking at him with the deer in a headlight stare. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He said, because he said, understand, if I've gone to the trouble to make this trip, I'm going to make it worthwhile. So I was just like, wow. And he's like, yeah, he said, he said, you know, I don't feel like that we're just out here to get you. He said, that's not the case. He said, but if you knowingly do something wrong and I can prove it, I'm going to make you pay to the fullest extent. I, I fully understand that. I don't fault them for that. But what I have realized is they aren't there to try to make life hard for the sportsman they aren't there to look to write the tickets Um, if you think about it you know one and two wardens cover huge expanses of property you know it's not an easy job to have so why are they going to be out there just wanting to create issue that's not it at all Um, they're there to help you and I feel like that if you get yourself in a situation where it's a predicament, like I felt like I was in, you know, I I do feel like honesty is probably the best move. And had it been 75 pounds and he had written me a warning ticket and confiscated the bear, I feel like that's the best I could have hoped for, for making that type of a mistake. Um, It wouldn't have been, trying to hide it in the truck and lose your vehicle and all of these other things. They have a job to do. I respect them for that job. And I think as long as you show them that equal respect, you're going to get it in return.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it's telling. I've had enough experiences with law enforcement, specifically game law enforcement. I've never, you know, been in any kind of violation of a law, you know, illegal harvest of a game, but there's been times where I've done stuff unknowingly uh, most recently, this season, uh, state of Florida requires you to enter and exit WMs at designated places, and I somehow missed that resi- that part of the the regulations. Parked on the side of a highway, walked in thinking that morning. God, all these morons walk a long daggum way to get to this <laughs> <laughs> to this part of the of the woods. I, I don't know why they don't just park right here where this gate is. And you know, in my defense, it didn't say no parking, but also realistically, I could have read the regs and, and known that's. I've never encountered something like that before and mm-hmm. so i i come walking back through the woods and there's a green truck there and i don't think anything of it you know there's a i think a moment that passed where i was like i wonder if i did anything wrong but it wasn't one of these things like i had a guilty conscience and i walked up and the guy gets out and he said i was just working on some paperwork enjoying the cool air and he's like you know you can't park here and we had a, a conversation and by the time it was all said and done he's like well i'm not going to give you a warrant uh you know i'm not even going to give you a warning just you know do me a favor and don't park here on the side of the highway and uh, I got his number and I've got it saved, and and he's he's gotten a, a another pair of eyes in in the woods. And I say all that to say, you know, these people are trying to build relationships probably more than they're trying to nickel and dime you for any kind of thing they can hit you with. Because I I reported two deer hunters that had shot a deer this year uh, out of season, and as I pulled around the corner, they drug it out the back of the truck and 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 ran it up into the woods, which is you know suspicious and obvious. And I called uh the officer and, and told him left him a voicemail and he called me back while i was in the deer stand and he went over there and he was giving tickets when i when i came back down at the deer stand mm-hmm. so, you know and, and i just say that to say you know these folks aren't out to get you they're they're out to protect the, the resource and and if someone's caught breaking the law they ought to have their stuff taken from them, especially if it's willful a-
2: absolutely absolutely i agree 100 and i think you're right they do try to build a relationship and you know, my nephew Sean, I think in his story that he told, it, it's a an ex law enforcement person who helped him with the tracking of that bear. Right. Uh, who, who has now gone on to do other things. But you know, they're if you think about it, they're just they're just regular people. Um, I mean, my my son-in-law is a police officer here in Virginia Beach, and I know a lot of those men and women that are on that you know that police department, and they're they're just average people, the families and the same interest that you and I have, they just happen to have, you know, law enforcement as a profession. Um, you know, and and I wish more people would understand that in today's society because I do feel like that police as a general don't get the same respect that they had yeah, as I was growing, as I was growing up, you you learn to respect the uniform, and you know you you respect the position. I don't know that that's still the way it's
0: felt throughout our country these days, but that that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> a couple of them, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think what makes this story so attractive, and you told me this story. I, there's so many different ways we can apply this, and. One of the one of the things I hope people get from this, and it, it, it's from a standpoint of, I get a lot of messages from new hunters, young hunters, um, a lot of adult onset hunters, actually, where they, they enjoy the podcast, they listen. And when you told me the story, I thought about the character it took for you to pick up that phone, and I'd like to think that... I would act in a similar fashion. you know it, I think it's important and the message one of the messages from this podcast is making sure that you're not doing anything questionable before the act. you know doing everything with a clean conscience, being a good sportsman so that when the, when the, this when it comes time to receive judgment for your action, you can do so with a, with a, a clear heart and a clear mind and you know come out of it with a similar result if it's ever a questionable circumstance.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't want people to think that I'm some you know a holier than thou type person by any means. I certainly have skeletons in my closet as well. But it, it it does to me. I feel like that if you try to do the right thing and you try to treat people the way that you would want to be treated, nine times out of ten, that's going to be reciprocated. So if you if you have done something like in this case with me. It was perfectly legal season. Sure. Felt like I had checked all the boxes to be able to pull the trigger other than not knowing the legitimate size of the animal. And to this day, I mean, we see more bear now. And I have been able to be around more bear that have been harvested. But, you know, two years ago, I was in the woods. Muzzle loader season, perfectly legal to kill it with a muzzle loader. Had a bear came out, gave me a perfect shot at about 45 yards. I felt like that it was probably a 100 to 150 pound bear. Wasn't really interested in shooting that bear at that time. It stayed around me, fed on beech nuts. I actually took my phone out, video recorded it, you know, sweeping the leaves back and eating <laughs> beech nuts. Now, this thing stayed around me probably 45 minutes, no exaggeration. And when it finally started to exit, it passed two very large white oaks that I knew how big the trunk of that tree was. Mm-hmm. And when that bear got beside that trunk of that tree, I'm thinking, man, you just screwed up, you know? So <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a really hard animal to judge. Um, that, and, and I've done a lot of reading and research since then to try to figure out How do you judge it? You know, people tell you if it looks like it has really long legs, it's probably a smaller bear because the bigger bear, Mm -hmm. you know, the body gets bigger. You know, look at the ears. Are the ears really large and, you know, set to the side of their head or do they set it up on top of the head like a dog? Probably one of the best things that I've learned and looking at actual animals on the ground, if you have an opportunity to look at that bear face on, and you can judge the distance between its eyes to its nose as a triangle.
0: Hmm.
2: If that triangle, if the three sides of that triangle are fairly proportioned and equal, you probably have an, an adult bear. If it's narrow and long with a long snout, nine times out of 10, that's going to be a younger bear. i not saying that it won't be a legal bear to harvest. Sure. It's just, I see it in this photo
0: you sent me, though. I see what you're talking
2: about. Yeah, The head and the perspective of the head changes. Um, On the larger males, they'll actually get a crease between their ears, sort of like the part in your hair, and it's because of two muscles that develop on top of their head. So if you see a bear and it's got sort of a distinctive hairline part, it's a pretty decent-sized animal. So, And those are just some little things that I've learned just looking at the animals on the ground that other people have harvested some that I've shot and then some of the things that I've read but it it by far to me is the hardest animal to judge in the wild unless you have something like a bait station or a known entity that you can compare that body size to
0: well you know I'm looking at this photo as you're talking seeing the different things you're talking about I'll be honest and if you'll if you'll allow me I, I normally Accompany all the podcasts with a, a picture. I'd love to use this picture if you'd let me. But it, looking at this bear, I, I would have shot this bear. If a hundred pounds was the, was the minimum, I would have shot this bear. And and I've got a better perspective than you know, a more laid out perspective than you were. You did. I'd I imagine it looked probably even bigger uh, when it was standing up.
2: You know, in all honesty, I knew that I felt like it was an adult. Sure. But to tell you what it weighed or how big it, it, it could have been a hundred pounds, it could have been 500. I would I had no real way of judging it as it passed me. Now, you know, seeing cubs in zoos and watching 900 million documentaries on television where you see you know bear and so forth, it just didn't have that tiny little body structure of what I would felt like a cub would look like. So when I pulled the trigger, I absolutely thought I was shooting a, a legal adult-sized bear.
0: Sure. Well, and that's all that matters. If you if you felt confident like that, then you know the weight's kind of secondary to that because you you were you were confident in what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So, well, what let me let me ask you this? I know you've listened to a couple of the podcasts, at least Sean's, and I, I always pose this question to people towards the ends of the podcast: if you could go back and give yourself one singular piece of advice before you shot your first bear and you're sitting in the deer woods and and a bear, you know a bear is about to walk out and you're going to share and impart one piece of wisdom to your former uh, hunt self. What single piece of information would you give yourself?
2: I think in hindsight, I probably could have done better as far as educating myself on how to judge the animal. Um, that's probably the only thing that I could think of that I could have done differently. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I wasn't sitting in an area where I felt like I would see a bear, honestly. Um, So to see it was sort of shocking. It wasn't something that I felt like I had an opportunity to see. Um, So I I think maybe the, the better education up front would have helped me. Would it have made me not shoot? Probably not, uh, because I don't know that I had enough time to truly evaluate. You know, trying to look at its eyes and these type things. Sure. Um, hunting and and you've hunted enough with deer. You know, if you if you've got a deer on the move, and you can establish that it's got a decent rack. It's not like having the time to have that animal walk out calmly and feed on acorns and have time to maybe take binoculars and look at its antlers. You know, you, you have to be confident in what I would consider a snap decision and a, not really a snap shot, but a, a good killing or ethical shot in a very short period of time. Um, those preparations being proficient with your firearm, being comfortable with what you're shooting, to me, helps you be a better sportsman or more ethical sportsman. So, you know, that that's something if some of your new hunters or these people that you talk about that may listen, you know, get proficient with your weapon. Don't just go out the week before you're going to hunt and go to the range and shoot it two or three times to make sure it's on paper. You know, try to get in an area where maybe you can, have some scenarios where you have to walk and shoot, or walk uphill and shoot. These type things. Um, it, it's like anything. The more you can train and prepare, I think the better you'll be.
0: Well, and I think also, I think you touched on the, on this maybe a little more indirectly than I would have said it. But you listened to your gut. You 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 were confident when you when you were evaluating that situation. There was no hesitancy in your gut. And I feel like having talked to enough people and having made enough questionable decisions in my own life, when when you shouldn't be taking an action, your gut almost never, very seldom leads you astray. And if you can sell to yourself when you need to make a decision and you listen to your gut and it tells you you're okay, you, nine times out of ten you are. And if there's any hesitancy... If there's any self doubt, well, that's that's when you, you it's time to, to let it go and if it turns out to be okay, that's a learning experience. You can be confident the next time. I think listen to your gut and and if if you're confident with what you're doing and and, and you have no no uh reservations, then then proceed. And I think at that point you just you live with what your gut told you and and, and what you saw and and uh it is what it is.
2: Yeah, and and I mean I'm I'm a little older, I'm fifty six. So I've had a little bit more life experience probably than you and Sean at this point, but yeah, your gut will tell you the right thing, but I have come to the realization that if I can, if I feel like that I can explain my actions, then I really don't have anything to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. Now my actions may not be something that someone else would do, but if I can comfortably and calmly say here was the thought process that got me to this point then you've done nothing to be ashamed of in
0: my opinion we agree well pete we're coming up on 50 minutes and it's getting late in the evening and i've taken enough of your time do you mm-hmm. have any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to to end this out with a message or or anything um be proud to be a sportsman
2: um, I love the outdoors. I love what it's done for me in my life. I like the fact that we live in a, in, a, in a place where we can actively pursue the love of a sport of hunting. Now, not like fishing. Fishing has a catch and release. It's nice to be able to catch a nice bass, take a picture of it and put it back in the water. We don't have that opportunity as hunters, but we still have the opportunity to respect the game we pursue And to be proud of the fact that we're a hunter. Um, The new hunters that that are listening, don't ever be ashamed of the fact if people come to you and say, well, I can't believe you hunt. Don't be ashamed of that. Figure out a way to put a positive message in what you love and be prepared to have that
0: conversation with those people. You may be able to change your mind. That is so well said. I'm not even going to try and add my own closing thoughts because it's going <laughs> to be minor in comparison. So, uh, Pete, I, I appreciate you coming on. If you hang on one second, I'm going to close this out, but I want to chat with you afterwards. Okay. Guys, I hope you found this as entertaining as and, and as engaging as I did. I I knew the moment that uh, Pete shared that story with me that it was going to be good. And I mean, to be honest with you, I knew it was going to be a good story when when Sean uh, told me his uncle wanted to come on and talk. So, if you enjoyed this, please go to iTunes, leave me a rating or review. Those tell me if, you, if you're enjoying it. That gives me the feedback when I'm up late uh, editing these episodes. And if you do me one more favor and tell a friend, let's grow Chasing Tails Outdoors. Tell a friend, share this podcast with your buddies. And uh, before too long, we're going to have a, a show that's worldwide. So until next time, y'all get outside and enjoy the outdoors.
2: to go with like just full blown redneck on these fish. This is like high tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.